So Jesus, in this morning, in this place, in this space, we say thank you for being with us, for the promise of peace and the promise of hope. I pray that our hearts are open this morning to hear and receive that hope that you have for us. That you teach us to be and look and act more like you. For every family in this place that's represented, that, that's going through a, a hard time, would you comfort them? For every heart that is broken, would you mend it? For every body that is hurting, would you heal it? For every, for every mind that is, is confused and, and is unsure and uncertain and overwhelmed, would you be present with us in it? Our ever-present help in our time of trouble. Our God, in every moment and in every season, we give you the glory and all the praise. Thank you for this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. Awesome, awesome. So if you were here before, uh, before Christmas, you will, you will have noticed that uh, our seating arrangement is a little tighter. It's a little more intimate. It's a little more eye contact. Uh, you're just a little bit closer to me, and so it's less likely that you fall asleep. So, uh, we're working towards that right there. Uh, little goals, little wins along the way. But we're excited to have you here with us this morning. Did everyone have a good break, a good New Year's? It's, it's nice to have uh, so many faces back with us. I know that it was a great time for me to go and celebrate with, with friends and with family and have that time to kind of recharge. But I'm ready for 2019. And I am especially pumped about the series that we get to engage with for the next three weeks. Uh, when we first launched the church at the end of September, we're just under four months old at this point, and I was already expectant and thinking about this series in particular, not because I am an expert on the topic, not because I believe I have the answer or the quick fix solution to make it all right, but because I believe that it is an important topic that we need to be talking about as the church because it is a real issue in our society, and that is the issue and the topic of mental health. And so we are going to be spending time over the next three weeks engaging with the issue. And we're framing it with the idea of conversation. Uh, you get a talking head this morning, but we're going to be having moments throughout the weeks to come where we will have the opportunity to engage in conversation. Uh, we're going to have mental health professionals, uh, mental health nurses. We're going to have a panel next week where we get to engage with topics like what does it mean to actually listen well? What do we do with issues like depression and anxiety? What, how do we define the topic of mental health? Mental health is such a broad statement to make. There are so many things that fall in that category. So do we even know how to properly define it? But this morning, uh, I have the privilege of, I hope, engaging you with what I believe the Bible has to say about the topic of mental health because in so many ways we have misconstrued what Jesus has to say about the topic and we've made it look more like us and less like Jesus. And so this morning we're going to take some time and we're going to engage with the scripture and we're going to see what 
see that interplay between what society and Scripture has to say. So uh, I'm going to jump right into Philippians 4. We read it this morning. I'm going to read it again. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, and it says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Can I stop right there? Right there already feels like an impossibility. Do not be anxious about anything. Because if we look about the reality of life, what we go through on a day-to-day basis, for if I was to come up to you and the beginning of 2019, I was to tell you that my goal for 2019 was to not be anxious about anything, you would likely have the response of good luck. Good try. But it says this right here, and and I don't believe that it's meant to lie to us or give us false hope, but it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. It's this combination of do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, because God wants to be part of our everything. Not just the little bits and pieces that we're comfortable giving to him, that we think that, oh, he can actually deal with this. I think this is a reasonable ask of God in this moment. No, he wants to be part of our everything. And then in verse 7, it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But this is not a peace as we know it, because I understand a certain type of peace. I understand a type of peace that my situation is good and it's right, and then I feel really peaceful about it. I like fluffy pillows and warm blankets and a good movie on a Friday night. That, that's a peaceful environment. I get that kind of peace, but that's not the kind of peace that's being talked about right here because the fluffy pillow, warm blanket kind of peace does not sustain me when times are tough and when my troubles overwhelm me. This is a peace that surpasses my understanding in those moments. This is not just a peace that's an accessory that God goes and accesses and then gives to us as, 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 as this gift. No, this is the peace of God. This is God with us. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, I am fired up. Let's, uh, let's pray and let's get into it. Jesus, thank you for this morning, for everybody that's here, for the opportunity to engage in the hope and the truth of your word. I pray that our hearts are ready and open to receive something fresh and exciting that we can apply and take into our everyday lives. We are so grateful that you meet us in this moment. We give you the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I want us to do an exercise to open up this morning, and I'm going to show... Uh, some pictures. I'm going to say some words. And, and as I do, I want you to consider what's your first thought? What's the feeling that it invokes, an emotion that it creates, a physical reaction that it causes? And I want you to, to consider those moments. And we'll pause, and, and, and I want this to be slightly interactive. We have the blessing of being in the beginnings of a community where you can yell it out at me, and I won't be that offended. So uh, I'm going to pop stuff on the screen. I want you to give some response. What are some initial feelings that you have? So picture number one, toss it up on the screen. How do we feel? Yeah. Yeah, everyone feels, everyone feels good about tacos. Tacos bring people together. It's like church and tacos. I don't know. I said it. Um, Okay, so now what if I say the word Jesus? What does that invoke? What does that make you feel? What does that make you think? Different things. 
Be honest. Be honest. What about church? If I say the word church, what does that make you feel? What does that make you think of? What does that make you reflect upon? Yeah, I'm hearing lots of good things. Okay, let's toss up the next photo. What does that make you feel? <laughs> Feels pumped, right? That's how I felt too. Yeah. Maybe you feel envious for his long Goldilocks. Dreamy. Dreamy. All right, he's going to be a distraction. Remove it. <laughs> um, what if I say the word sports? What if I say the word sports? What is that? For some of you, like myself, if I hear the word sports, I'm like, yes, I'm in. What sport do you want me to be doing? How can we do it? How soon can we be doing it? Can we do it right now? That's just kind of like what I feel immediately in that moment. And for some of you, I know when you hear the word sports, it's like instant anxiety of like, why do I have to do this? Do not force this upon me. I am already overwhelmed and all you've done is say the word sports. And we go through these different feelings and responses and emotions to, to these common things that we experience, like last, so common in our everyday lives. But we have these things that we go through. Uh, I want you to do one more thing with me. And if you feel comfortable, would you close your eyes? And, and I want you to, as, as my roommate Mark says, uh, enter your mind palace. <laughs> uh, and I want you to do this with me. Uh, you're, you're walking down a sidewalk. I want you to feel the ground at your feet, uh, wind on your right cheek, perhaps the sound of cars in the distance, and the taco place that you love is up on your left side. You can picture it. You see it. You know it's open, and you know that there are friends there waiting for you, okay? And as you're walking towards it, you see someone that you know is suffering from depression sitting on the sidewalk. What do you feel in this moment? What is your response? What do you say? You can open your eyes. So different things invoke different responses, different emotions, a picture, a word, a thought. And, and I hope we're not so homogeneous that at, for every single thing, you had the exact same response as your neighbor. I, and I don't believe that's the case. I think everyone had different things that were triggered in those moments that varied from person to person. But in that situation when we're, we're thinking of the individual on the street, ha have you ever heard someone or perhaps you've, have you ever told someone just the simple statement, uh, it's going to be okay? But, but the truth is, in, in that moment, based upon the things that we know in the situation, regardless of whether I say it or not, we don't really know that things are going to be okay. And, and, you know, we, we make this statement, and you know what I'm talking about, especially like in sports environments where you're playing with your buddies and somebody gets hurt and they fall to the ground and you walk over and you're like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Walk with me. I'm, 
walk with me back to Jason, youth ministry days, aka 2009, let's say. 2009. Uh, our, our youth group at the time was, was young and burgeoning. It was in Calgary. It was a lot of fun, and I was just starting to get involved with it. But the real reason I showed up for Friday nights was not for the purposes of the kids. It was not for the purposes of Jesus. It was the purposes of dodgeball. So that, that was my priority in that season. And so you, we, we showed up every Friday night, and this was a big deal at this youth group. Dodgeball was like the main draw. People did not come for Jesus. They came for dodgeball. And they showed up every Friday night ready to go. Young, old, older, they showed up ready to go to play some dodgeball. And I, I don't want to brag or anything, but I came ready. I, w- I was ready to go on, on Friday nights. Doesn't matter if they were 12 years old, 18 years old, or 24. There was no quarter given. There was no mercy shown. This was, fero- your, your full ferocity on the battlefield was brought because everyone brought their best. And so you, you show up and you're ready to go and your arm is all stretched out and you feel good. And we were so serious that we had like the real dodgeballs that we actually ordered with like the gorilla skin on it and we took it really seriously. And like you'd go in like midweek to like practice your throws and it was a big deal. It was, uh, it was a primary part of our youth group experience. And then for myself, there was a one night. So I was maybe prone to pushing things farther than I should have. I was young. I would maybe still do it today, but uh, I took it so seriously that I probably should have shown some mercy, but I was accurate. I was like, feet from a distance, I'm going to bang, done, bang, done. And if you've ever played revenge dodgeball, you know that like once your kill count gets gets like up there, everyone's calling out to get you out, and so your tension starts to rise. You start to feel a little bit good about yourself, and, and your arm gets a little bit more loose as you feel like you're going to wipe out the entire team, and there was a moment, and so there was absolutely other wiser female leaders who were saying, they're just kids, and I'm like, I got to teach them a lesson, <laughs> and so they're in the distance, and I'm hearing them, but I'm not paying attention to them. And there's like, grade 12 kid, I'm like, I can bring it on this guy. I am allowed to. This is not illegal. And so, see him, scope him out, aim for his feet, ball goes a little wild, and instead of the leg of a grade, tw- uh, grade 12, I hit the face of a 12-year-old. The kid drops. <laughs> and he goes down. And he stays down a little bit too long, and I'm like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have gone so hard. <laughs> and immediately, I'm like making my way over. But this is, what I, this is what I did, and I'm not proud of this. I'm immediately making, like, excuses. Like, he shouldn't have put his face in the way. Like, this is his fault. Like, why didn't he, why, why didn't he get out of the way? And I'm immediately, like, scrolling through all these things in my mind, and, and I get over there, and, and what do I say? You're going to be okay. You'll be fine. Way to take a hit. Good job, good job, good job. And, and you know what? And everyone else kind of like chimes in of like, good job, you, you, you did it. You took it to the face. <laughs> and it, and it, it didn't make a lot of sense, but because we started to say it was okay, we all kind of started to believe it was okay. And because I said it, the next person said it, and then another person said it, and another person said it, so he kind of believed it, but his face is not okay. And it's ridiculous, but this is kind of how we treat mental health. 
that one person says is going to be okay. I've dealt with this before. And based upon our own personal conceptions and experiences and the way that we approach a situation, we impose that on the experiences and situations of others. And when they're actually experiencing real struggle and real hurt and real suffering, we say, it's going to be okay. And then someone else chimes in, no, you're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. It's going to be fine. And we're not actually engaging with the real struggle that we see in the person. Now, this is not me advocating that we need to wallow in our misery and just hold ourselves up. But there is power in awareness. And there is especially power in awareness in the local church because we have a hope in Jesus that we sometimes leave to the side only when it is comfortable to engage with. So there's so much more to the story of mental health that we need to be aware of. Because okay means different things to different people. When you feel okay, it might feel different than when I feel okay. How we think, how we feel, how we respond, how, how we understand situation to situation is different for different people. And if we're living our lives by the precept that the way I understand something must be the way the, way the rest of the world understands it or interacts with it, then we are actually devaluing people and we're devaluing the experiences that they've gone through. And this is what we do. It's going to be okay. It's just in your head. You need to pray it away. And we say this to others, but this narrative we also impose upon ourselves. And sometimes we are guilty of even shaming ourselves down this spiral of, of anxiety, of depression, of neglecting real mental illness. Are we okay as individuals? Are we okay as a society? Are we okay as a community? Are, are we, is our social constructs okay? In our, in our work environments, in our learning institutions, are we actually okay? And it's an interesting question to ask, especially in the church, and I think this is part of why we struggle with it, is because part of our responsibility as, as followers of Jesus is to carry the belief that God is in control. But if I'm being honest, when I go through situations in my life, moments and seasons, and, and I, I go through weeks, it doesn't always feel that way. And it's hard. And I wonder, where are you, God, in the midst of it all? And then we, we sing songs, and we read scriptures, and we hear sermons that God is faithful and God is good. And then we go home, and we're like, God is not faithful. It doesn't feel like right now. And man, it doesn't feel like God is good. So where is he in the midst of it all? Every situation is different. Every experience is unique. But God is ever-present in our struggle, however we might feel. 
But unfortunately, our lack of understanding around the topic of mental health has led to some archaic and really dangerous responses from the church in the past and even today, where we have demonized and stigmatized and rejected individuals suffering from mental illness, and we've even removed science from the equation of understanding mental illness. Uh, There's an individual by the name of Sigmund Freud, and he was the father of psychoanalysis, and that was an... uh, an approach that was introduced into psychotherapy. But the interesting thing about Freud is that he was an ardent atheist. He wanted nothing to do with God and didn't believe in God at all. And because of his teachings and his approach, it actually created this, this separation where spirituality was kind of the only approach to therapy and to dealing with mental health beforehand, it almost became non-existent because of the separation of atheism and Christianity or spirituality. And the church began to approach it as purely this spiritual issue. And please don't, don't misunderstand me. I love the church. I I see so much beauty and possibility and hope in the church. I see that there's an opportunity every time that we gather together to discover anew the life, hope, and possibility and purpose found only in Jesus Christ. But there are constructs within the church that need rehabilitation to look more like Jesus and less like us. Because Jesus did not reject the, 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 the normal, natural things of the world to simply over-spiritualize everything. One of the most dangerous things that I've heard around the topic of mental health is when we associate the idea of sin as the reason you are struggling with your mental health. That we say, Why, what have you done to cause this issue in your life? But Jesus deals with this very directly in the scriptures. He comes up against this in John chapter 9, a blind man's brought before him. And the disciples say, has the mother, the father, or has he sinned? And Jesus immediately says, there is no sin associated in this situation, but an opportunity for the glory of God to be shown. The way of Jesus is to, in how he approaches hurt and suffering and health is different then often the church has approached it. And there's a great opportunity in front of us. There is a spiritual element and there is a scientific element and the soul and who we are needs to recognize both. Because the reality is this. Here are the facts. In in any given year, one in five people in Canada will personally experience a mental health problem or illness. By the time we reach 40 years of age, 50% of Canadians will have had or will develop a mental health problem. Between 19.6 and 26.2% of British Columbians, somewhere around a million people, will experience mental illness each year. 7% said that they seriously considered suicide or self-harm more than once in the past year. Suicide accounts for 24% of all deaths among 15 to 24-year-olds and 16% among 25 to 44-year-olds. And then two-thirds of people suffering with mental illness do not seek help due to the fear of being stigmatized. It's sobering. It's hard to hear but it is the reality of our situation. 
So this is an important subject. And it's relevant to every single person in this room because I guarantee you there's somebody that you know who is struggling with their mental health or you yourself are. And yet, in the church, 30% of attendees, there was a survey that was done in North America, 30% of attendees indicated that they had never heard mental illness mentioned in a sermon in their entire life. 20% said it was mentioned maybe once a year, mentioned. 30% said maybe twice a year. The numbers don't match up. Because in many churches, intentionally or unintentionally, and in our Christianity in general, we, we live under this, this concept of victorious Christian living with the assumption that real Christians don't have problems in life, or at least not crippling, persistent problems that would only require a prayer or two to go away. And many of us adopt it without realizing it, And it's based off the belief that we should expect complete victory over brokenness in our world as evidence of our faith and God's love for us. But this, again, is in direct contradiction to what Jesus says. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. John 16. So like I said, please don't misunderstand me. I love the church. And I see huge possibility within it. But maybe my frustration around it is founded in because I see the possibility. What would happen if we started to engage it with some real honesty and vulnerability and see the opportunity to be the light in the world that we are called to be, specifically in this area of mental illness where 20% of the population is constantly dealing with it. That one in every two people by the age of 40 will have gone through or will go through mental health struggles. What an incredible opportunity for the local church to be a hub of hope. A place where people can gather and discover life together found only in Jesus, but not just discovering it through spiritual means, but having honest conversations to interact with great resource, resources and, and individuals who can speak real truth into the situation. So there's three areas I want to consider this morning, and I'm already running long, but this is a, this is a big topic. So if you're taking notes, uh, there's three different areas that I think that we believe we've got it right. That we think that the way that we approach it is good enough. But it's, it's kind of our impro- approach instead of the Jesus approach. And so the three areas are we need to go from being comfortable to being vulnerable. We need to go from a place of focusing on curing to be more focused on healing. And we need to go from a place of being simply inclusive to actually creating a place of belonging. All right, I want to do a follow-up exercise. And so this one is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. So prepare yourself. Uh, I want you to find someone beside you, just a a partner, just two people. Um, And if you don't have that person, that's okay. Uh, you'll, You'll understand what's going on. But I want you to find someone beside you. And what I want you to do is I want you to look them directly in the eye 
and this isn't a Southern Baptist moment where I ask you to tell your neighbor this. <laughs> I want you to look them directly in the eye, and I want you to hold eye contact for 60 seconds. Okay? So look, engage, be present, ready, three, two, one, go ahead. Hold eye contact. You're only 30 seconds in. (laughs) 10 seconds. All right, and you can break eye contact. Well done, well done. Give yourself a hand. Good job, good job, good job. Okay, be honest with me. How uncomfortable was that? Not? We were good? I wonder if you actually held eye contact with someone that you didn't know. How would that have changed the situation? Good job. Good job over there. Perhaps one of the misconceptions I think that we have today is that we are supposed to be creating comfortable spaces. Because that sounds nice, that we want people to be comfortable. But that was never the approach of Jesus. Because comfortable, it makes assumptions about in a way that we can reason things out. Comfortable makes it so that we can understand the situation. Comfortable rushes past the unknown or the areas lacking information. But that was never the way of Jesus. Jesus was never about making people comfortable. He was always about leading them to a place of being vulnerable. And vulnerability is an area that we struggle with as individuals. Because we are vulnerable up to a point where we suddenly, like we feel a little bit uncomfortable and we just kind of stop right there. Uh, that's, That's about as far as I'm going to go. But he always pushed us to that place of vulnerability, not for the purpose of shame or for the purpose of power, for the purpose of authority, but because he believed that real understanding, real relationship, real development, and real growth was found in that place of vulnerability. When Jesus goes and he sees the woman at the well, she gives him just enough information for her to feel comfortable. But Jesus isn't, isn't happy with just that. He exposes even more, creates this place of vulnerability, and actually she discovers who he is in that place of vulnerability. So we, we struggle with discomfort. But let me say this, real love leads us in the direction of the uncomfortable. Real love leads us in the direction of the uncomfortable. When we don't hide things, I believe so, so ardently that that's when we are our most human. 
when we are honest and we are open and we are willing to actually expose the areas that we hold to so tightly and so dearly. Do it with wisdom, do it with discretion, but don't hold on to it forever by yourself because there's a huge opportunity in vulnerability. Ephesians 4.2 says this, it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Part of vulnerability, the struggle with it, is that it requires patience. It's a, it's a process that demands patience. It demands that we take time. It demands that we actually meet with people. Can you imagine doing that process over and over again? 60 minutes, uh, 60 minutes, that's a long time. 60 seconds of, <laughs> of eye contact with the same person every day for a month. What would you discover about that person? What would you discover about yourself? What would you learn along the way? Because the thing is, when we are in a vulnerable place, we learn so much about the people around us, about who we are, about the God that we know. Maybe there's more than simply just being sympathetic about a situation and more to the idea of support and actually meeting with, being with, living with people with each other. C.S. Lewis says this in The Problem of Pain. He says the mental pain is less dramatic than physical, physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Perhaps the most devastating aspect of mental health is the stigma that's associated with it. The idea of stigma is, arises from the slave trade. When a slave owner bought a slave, the slave was given a brand. And this was the mark of the slave master. And it meant that the person was no longer a person. Now they were nothing more than a brand. And for mentally ill people, stigma reduces the person to the diagnosis, to the shape, and the size of it. That's why two-thirds of people suffering from mental illness do not seek help due to the fear of being stigmatized. And we've seen that mental health labels are sticky. We, we do some interesting things with them. If someone had influenza, you would not call them the flu. But if you are diagnosed with a serious mental health illness, you actually become that illness. You become a schizophrenic a neurotic, a depressive, a bipolar, or whatever dangerous name people choose to call you. And when you are called by that name, in a sense, you simply stop being yourself. It's like you're robbed of it. But the beauty of the arrival of Jesus into humanity is that he gives us a name that is who we are. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't replace our name with the, with the things of society, with the hurts that we carry, with the areas that we suffer, but he gives us a name so that we can be a friend. John 15, 14 to 17, Jesus is with his disciples and he says, I no longer call you a servant, but I call you a, a friend. I released you into your purpose and your potential so that you can know yourself as, as a friend of Jesus. As a child of God. So if you're here this morning and you've been categorized and stigmatized and demonized and put into these different categories based upon an illness that you carry, I am sorry. Because that is not the way of Jesus. And that should not be the stance of the local church. 
The name that he knows you by is the name that he gives to you, and that is friend, that is child of God, that is beloved, that is set apart for so much more than you could ever imagine. He knows you as you are, not as your sickness calls you to be or as your struggle calls you to be. And he gives us this intimate invitation. He says, I no longer call you mentally ill, a schizophrenic, a bipolar, or any other destructive name, but now I call you friends. And I want you to be my friends, and I hope that you might consider allowing me to become yours. And the last thought, and I think, I think we, get, we believe we have this one right, because we're like, we are an inclusive community. We are great at including people. But inclusivity was never the posture of Jesus to people who were in their struggle. Jesus never simply included them, but he created a space in which they belonged. Inclusivity is like inviting them into your house. Belonging is asking them to stay for dinner. To belong, you need to be missed. To belong, others need to long for you like the prodigal son's father waited anxiously for him in the distance. To belong, we need to feel that we matter. Belonging is a true place of meeting together. Belonging is the enemy of stigma. Belonging destroys loneliness and fear. Belonging is is the heart of the gospel. It urges us to alter our hearts and change our minds in such a way that it enables the creation of new spaces where we can relate, places where we can actually feel like we're missed or that we belong or that we matter. And when we offer Christ-shaped friendships to one another, we can help tear apart these bonds of loneliness and of fear of exclusion and of isolation, and we can open up new possibilities where people can reclaim and be proud of their name. True belonging makes us feel safe, makes us feel connected, makes us believe that we have a future. And true belonging is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Not, not as a set of morals to live by. Not as a set of laws that we have to abide by. Not as a, a structure within society that we must attend. But as a person that we get to know. Because he wants to know you. He wants to be with you. It's not simply about including you in his grand master plan for humanity. If it was, then the gospel would simply be a demonstration. But the message of the gospel is not that it was a demonstration so that he appeased humanity and said, I'm here, look at me. But it was understanding that there was this real struggle and a real hurt in the midst of you and I. And so he came in the midst of it. Perhaps the message of the gospel is the greatest model of how you and I should be approaching the idea of mental health. That which was difficult, that which was inconvenient, that which was uncomfortable, Jesus came right in. And he brought 
nothing but love and hope and grace for every single person he came across. I read a great quote that said that great therapy works because it's full of grace. It's creating spaces full of grace. So what would happen if we moved past that place of inclusivity and into a place of belonging? Past the mindset that we need to cure someone and understand that we need to be on the process and the journey of their healing. What would happen for, for us and how we treat others and how we would treat ourselves? So wherever you find yourself this morning, there's a journey to go on. I'm not here to say that there's a quick fix solution to the depressive thoughts and the anxiety that you are carrying in your mind, but the verse that says, do not be anxious for anything, that is the hope of God for your life. Your anxious thoughts and the things that you struggle with in your mental capacities, that is not his intentions for you. That is not his desires for you. He wants so much more for your story and would that the church be a place where we could gather together and begin that journey in discovering what it is that he has for us, working through that places, working through different things together, aligning ourselves with the appropriate resources, medications, spaces that need to be given the proper weight in the church alongside the spiritual nature that makes up all of us. God is with you, whether or not we feel it sometimes or not. And there's hope to be found in him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he is the perfect example of how we should be in the area of mental health and beyond. To be a people that creates space for conversation, for love, for listening, for vulnerability and for truth. To be a people that allows grace to actually live within us and live through us. And for every person that's here this morning that is struggling with, with an area of mental health, it's so wide, but if it's a mental illness, Jesus, I pray that they do not lose their name to that illness. That is not the defining factor of who they are. But it is just a space where they can see the glory of God work in their life. And for those individuals who are suffering through depressive thoughts or through anxiety, thank you that you do not desire that for us, and I pray that we meet you in the midst of it. And as we learn over the course of the next three weeks more about different areas in the mental health spectrum, I pray that we would sense that you are with us in the midst of it all, and as we equip and as we step forward, I pray that we step forward with grace for others around us. Thank you that this is a place where we get to discover you. 
for every heart that's here, for every person that's here, for every family that's represented. May there be so much hope in the midst of all their situations. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In your name we pray. Amen.